1: The hood messenger, let know close. Blackberry the devil in a black cloak. Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Dave One, and this is episode number what episode is it, Cam? 82. Episode number eighty-two, man. Episode number eighty-two. Hey, listen. This is the first episode of 2024, man. Uh, 2023, we've seen a lot of growth. We've seen a lot of uh good guests, man. I mean, definitely a lot of good guests, but 2024, we wanna we wanna make that our Kobe year. That's the 24 should be the Kobe year, right, Cam? I mean, it should just be the Black Mamba year where we just we just go all out and just get every guest we can. And I'm excited because uh we got some good guests lined up. So uh but first I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the podcast. I mean, it's been it's been great. Uh I was telling somebody that uh I, I went to a friend's uh party and uh his whole family, all his homeboys were hitting me up telling me they're watching the podcast. I was blown away because first of all, I didn't know some of them at all. Second of all, I didn't think they even listened to the podcast. No disrespect, but I was just thinking like, "Hey, my podcast maybe Joe Rogan or Jocko or somebody like that, but They're listening to the Street Gospel podcast, so I appreciate it. Um, And like I always say, a good podcast is based on great guests. You know, you got to have great guests. And uh, so props to all the guests that came through in 2023. And uh, I'm looking forward for a great 2024. Um, Appreciate that. But today, we have have somebody that came through, man. We were working on this podcast for a minute, right? Uh, Definitely, uh, he's somebody that we wanted to have. Uh, he's pretty he, He's pretty local familiar, He's familiar with the area uh, He's a brother in the Lord He was featured on a Netflix documentary That's how I, I first discovered him um, He works in the state capital I mean, somebody from P-Town working in the state capital It's unheard of <laughs> Definitely unheard of He's got a great story We'll get into it But I want to welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast Mr. Jared Nava
0: Thank you, Dave. Thanks w- for
1: having me on. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. So you're so, so you're down here visiting for the holiday, I would assume.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: So, see, I see, I got little moves, bro. This is this is what people don't know. Like, I, like I figured since you were down, you know, you you, you used to stay down here, right? And I, I figured, right, Man he's probably gonna be down here for the holidays, right? Maybe I could catch him. You know what I mean? And so uh, I caught you, bro. I finally came through. Uh we've been going back and forth. I've been following your story for a minute, man, so I appreciate you coming out
0: nah definitely thanks for having me on
1: you know so uh how's life bro
0: um it's been it's been great it's uh it's interesting too because december twenty second was my uh like third year anniversary of being home so I've been home for three years now and just kind of seeing where I turned my life uh by the grace of God like where I've turned it to today is just amazing it's mind blowing to myself
1: Did that three years go by fast?
0: It went by so fast.
1: I bet you when you were locked up, it didn't go by that fast. <laughs> nah, it's like
0: Groundhog Day. Everybody felt like the same. <laughs> she. So you, let's,
1: we're going to rewind. So I've, I mentioned in the intro that you were in a Netflix documentary. Uh, they call us monsters. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're tired of talking about it by now, right? So we're going to move We'll, we'll move fast to this, but the the whole thing while while I seen you is one day me you and know, I sat down and we watched that documentary. Now, the other dudes were very interesting, but there was something about you that was like, for me, I'm looking at you, man, and I'm like, this this is this is a young dude, and and I felt like, um, in this documentary, it kind of it for some reason, out of all the guys, the three guys in there, you and you were on the the main guy in the cover and everything right and i felt like it really showed your personality even sometimes you, you try to hide it in the documentary a little bit it was you were really you weren't that good at hiding it cuz you can see your vulnerability you can see that you were like i don't belong here is that is that kind of true is that the is that the right vibe cuz i know that's the vibe me and my wife got
0: yeah definitely i think me even watching it now reflecting i just see me trying to put on a mask at various times. And a lot of it was just out of fear, really. Like, just out of fear to survive. And not not in the sense of, like, oh, like, woe well, is me, right? But it was just, I thought that this is what I had to do in order to to survive, really. And life is just to, you couldn't be yourself. You had to, to be this tough exterior or laugh everything off or be emotionless. But, I mean, I was human and I was young and it was going to seep through. And so watching it now, I can see, when I would put up these masks, like I see through myself now, being older,
1: that must be a trip, man. Because I, I, I'm glad, like social media, and I'm glad, like all that stuff didn't exist when I was young. Because I, I don't like to look at myself, even even for the podcast. I'm like, I listen sometimes, but once it's in the can, I'm I'm done with it, bro. Because there's something about it, you know. And but especially when you're younger, looking back, you kind of like, man, that was. Me, I wasn't that good, or I wasn't as cool as I thought it was. Like you see, all these things. But being sixteen, getting involved in some trouble. And if if we can rewind it a little bit, you you grew up in. I think you were born in. Was it Michigan? Yeah, I was born in Michigan. So you were born in Michigan, and you were born to a single mother. Right. So how difficult is that?
0: So that was that was challenging. Because my mom was young, too. And I think her just trying to figure out how to raise a boy and trying to, like, she was very, like, tough with me. Because she wanted me to grow up and be tough in a world where she felt like a man had to be, he couldn't be vulnerable. So that's kind of the things that I learned. But I think what was was hard is she joined the Navy when I was three. So she would go out on leave. And so I just would stay with, you know, friends. And so even there was kind of that disconnect between me and her from a young age, which kind of uh, led to other issues as I got older, just because, like, you know, you develop... What I learned now is being able, like, the abandonment issues and things like that. Like, I felt abandoned by my real father and then my mom, you know? So, like, those are the things that... was, like, the difficulties of a single mother because she was trying to do everything she could to provide for me. But as a kid, I'm just like, where's my mom at? Right? Yeah.
1: So, I I, I mean, to leave you with... She was just leaving you with friends and everything, and going on leave, being in the navy, and you're staying
0: wherever. Well, like on the base, like other on the base, yeah, okay. like other families, like who are who weren't in the navy, or like the the wife who wasn't in the, like. It was just the husband, so I would stay like with, like you know, friends, friends, family, right, like, right, okay, navy okay. family.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get it. So you were moving around a lot. Were you? I mean, because I know you ended up in Pona, but I know you you travel, you were going around a lot, and maybe because your mom was in the navy, or
0: well, so. When she met my stepfather, who was basically my who basically raised me, uh, we moved to Pomona initially, and then we bounced all around. We were in North Hollywood, we were in Hacienda Heights, we were in San Bernardino. We were kind of bounced around. Then we went back to Michigan for a little bit. We were a little bit everywhere. So it's got
1: to be tough on a kid to move that many times,
0: right? I felt like every time I went to a different school, it was like trying to find my new identity. Or I felt like I was off track with where they were at in math and science and English. I just felt like sometimes I was way further ahead. And other times I felt like I was way behind. So I was just constantly trying to like reinvent myself or trying to stay on track with, you know, if I already knew this stuff, it was boring and I was acting up in class because I, I wasn't challenged. Right. Or yeah. other times I was struggling because I was like, man, I did not even learned this yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't move very much as a kid, stood in the same neighborhood, like, my whole life are with with blocks in the neighborhood, right? Went to the same school, the same kid, elementary, junior high. I, I can't even picture of trying to have to fit in every so many years or every so many months. I mean, that, it's got to be tough. And then feeling abandoned, finding, you know, having uh, somebody that raised you that's not your your real father. I I initially thought when I was watching the documentary, like, this guy came from, like, a decent home. I mean, Compared to like a lot of people from the street, like maybe parents are doing drugs, maybe parents are just split up. But I, I felt you came from a decent home. But then I began to like read and do a little bit more research and realize you did move a lot. There was a lot of times you guys didn't have money. And then I I, I read a little bit about your your uh, your stepfather's attempted suicide, right. how that affected you. Yeah. How 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 bad was that for you? Not having your your. You know, your biological father in your life, but then now having somebody that's like, man, I thought this guy was supposed to be strong. Like, what happened?
0: Yeah, I think that was was difficult because everything I had learned had, like, really came from him about, like, you know, being... It's crazy because I remember he showed me the movie Bronx Tale, and if you've seen Bronx Tale, like, uh, Robert De Niro's, like, the good, hardworking father and his son, he's, like, the gangster on the block... And Kalajano, uh, right? Yep. He's, he's, he's I had, like, him, I had him on the show too, bro. <laughs> oh, that's I didn't even know that. That's yep. amazing. He's like he's like struggling between the two influences, and so like for me, um, my stepdad was like Robert De Niro, like he was like, man, like, you got to be a working man, like. And then I felt like when I seen that, like I felt like it shattered my perception of all the the morals and values that he taught me, and then I just thought like how he said, like, man, the working man is a sucker, like that's how I felt. And so I just went elsewhere and I and I sought that validation and I sought family because I think when I went to jail and I was facing uh, the time that I was facing and, and the crime that I committed, I think it was very sobering for my parents to see uh, how broken everything was. And then like my mom moved. So like when they're filming stuff in the documentary, she had moved to the East Coast. So she kind of had started to get more established. And then they, i think it was just really really sobering for them and it, it was really uh, a moment for them to look at what was going on in the household and how it had even got this far
1: i think a lot of people are like that right they're they're, they're in the busyness of life right in our, our survival yeah. you know that you don't really look at like the little things like a neglect or you know the like what's happening to to my son you know what's going on in his mind because i'm not i'm not making a connection with him because i'm so worried about paying bills or paying the rent or, or, getting along with my spouse. I think people don't really factor those things into when, you know, how it affects the children. But, you know, we, we see that more than ever now with, with fatherless homes, right? A lot of, I mean, you work a lot with all the young people. The main problem is, is for a lot of these kids is they just don't have a father to, to guide them or help them or, 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 or encourage them. Right. Right. I think that's a, I think that's a big deal. So, you you start are you are you starting to rebel? Because I it, it looked like you were a good kid. I know you were in in sports, right, baseball and stuff. But it looked like you're are you rebelling? Is there a reason?
0: I think that I was just trying to fit in, and there was a group of people that I had went to high school with that I kind of just gravitated towards, and we hung out. Whereas before, when um. I would work, too. Like, I started working at a young... I started working at 11. I would get picked up in these vans, like, after school jobs for... Oh, kids. so you were that kid? Yeah. Right knocking on, on the door. Yeah, I was yeah. knocking on the door trying <laughs> to sell you the newspapers or the chocolates. Or Bro, like. I always thought
1: they were not legit, dude. They're legit.
0: Yeah, they were legit. Okay. So I started doing that at 11. Um, and I did that all the way until I was about 15. And so I think um, when I stopped doing that, too, I just... I didn't really have, like, a childhood in a sense. I just always went to school, then worked. And everything I did socially was just working. And so then um, I just gravitated to to this section and, and I felt like they had family and I felt like and so I got jumped into the the, the crew that I was from.
1: How, how many kids you think that happens to, bro?
0: Too many. Right. Yeah. They just
1: don't have nothing at home or nothing going for them. And they just I mean, it, it, it sounds like cliche, like, you know, like, oh, I didn't have nothing and I just gravitated to that. But it, it, it is real. Right.
0: Yeah, it's definitely real It's just When when you're When you don't have that foundation, right? And it talks about that in scripture too, right? Like Like you have to have a solid foundation And so when you don't have that foundation In your household You're constantly trying to like Fill it, right? Like you're always trying to find other things You, you know, that's why you see kids Like Who don't You know, because a lot of people say Well, I had Or I know people who had it rough And they never did that, right? And I'm yeah, like that, That's, all the that's time. true 100%, right? And I just think that I was weaker I think I was weaker than other people because my face wasn't changing the way I dressed a million times. Mine's was I I surrounded myself with some individuals. And then I learned that the more violent you were, the more you respected, the more you were kind of feared. And I ran with that. And I had a lot of anger and I had a lot of resentment in my heart. And I didn't know how to express or put words to those things. So I just was hurting people. Man, do you think if you
1: if you would have stood in sports that would have gave you an outlet?
0: Definitely, because it was like that passion. And then I had discipline. Like I had good coaches when I was young who just kind of had that discipline. But I needed, like people always ask me the question, like, what would you tell your younger self? And it's not so much that I needed people to tell me anything. I just needed people to be there. Mm. It wasn't so much the words of wisdom that you could have given me. It was the consistency of showing up and showing me discipline and showing me how to to walk out being a man.
1: Did Not to knock your parents, but
0: did they fail you? I would say they did the best with what they knew. Mm. They did the best with what they knew. I I
1: think that's a good perspective, bro. Because, you know, I I think a lot of guys will use that as an outlet. Like, my parents failed me. It's their fault. Right? But then you look at how they were raised or where they came from, and you're like, well, how much could I blame them, right? Right. I mean, because... Sometimes I think we don't we don't look at our parents' lives and where they came from. When you start really examining, like, okay, who raised you, or how did or how are you raised, and then you're like, dang, like that, that's bad. Yeah. And it's 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 kind of like a like it's a miracle that we we even exist,
0: right? And, and ultimately, it comes down to like we all have choices. No matter what circumstance you're put into, you still have choices to make, right? And that's why I said I think I was just weaker than other people. In that situation, when I say weaker, like mentally, I just was, I fell into the social pressures differently than other people did. And I made different choices and different decisions. Right. And yeah. Which led me to, to that point.
1: I, I think it's, it's kind of uh it's kind of a trip because you mentioned Bronx Tale. Yeah. And in Bronx Tale, Calodro jumps in the car. And gets out. With <laughs> the guys, right? Well, he, he actually gets pulled over, right? Oh yeah, he gets pulled. And then Sonny goes over there. C, yeah. get out. Get him out the car, right? And then the guys take off. And I think what you just said right now, you didn't have somebody that was there to say, it's okay. You can get out the car. If that's not you. Yeah, that's not you. It's, and same like C, it's kind of like parallel to that story. That yeah. It's funny that you brought that up and it just came to my mind because... And then you say that you didn't have anybody that that really was going to go, hey, get out the car. Right. And if you had somebody that was just there, you know, maybe... maybe just to guide you a little bit, it would have made a bigger difference.
0: Yeah, things could have been different.
1: So, so you you get in a car and involved in in, in a shooting, right? Um, can you break that down for us? I mean, I don't want you to get you don't have to get in detail. If they want to watch the the the, the, the documentary, they can. But maybe just a little bit,
0: right? So, I, I got into a car um, to do a retaliation shooting. There was a shooting that took place um, at my apartments, and that just was kind of the culture. Is as a gang member, the Belief for the mindset. Pull pull the mic a little closer. The belief for the mindset was, you know, this is what you have to do in response. And when I went to the pro board, just not to go too far off track, but when I went to pro board, they asked me that question. They're like, "Oh, like, well, if you weren't drunk or high, would you still have done that?" Because I've heard people kind of like criticize me about that too. And it's like, it had nothing to do with being drunk or high. It had the fact, it had everything to do with the belief system that I had. Mm -hmm. And I had a belief system that that said that I had to do this. Or I was going to continue to be a victim of something. And so I went out and um, there was a car that I knew that, you know, rival um, gang members were in. And so when I seen that car, I just started shooting at it. And they didn't stop to see who was in it. They didn't think nothing of it. I just, just shot the car when I seen it.
1: And and there wasn't rival members in there, right? You hurt right. probably innocent, innocent people, right? Right. Innocent and, people.
0: And that's that's one of like the biggest catalysts in my change is the fact that um Yesenia Castro was paralyzed as a result of my actions that night. And to me it it was really embarrassing and I was really ashamed because I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't raised to put your hands on a woman, I wasn't raised to harm women. And so for them to be the people who were harmed by this. Um, was extremely, something I was extremely shameful of. I didn't feel like a gangster anymore. I didn't feel like this this guy that was part of this lifestyle. And then I realized, you know, as I, as I got older and I started learning about what she actually experienced, and I seen the documentary for myself and the fact that I took her, you know, her God-given right to just walk. You know, like, it broke my heart, and I was just deeply, like, deeply ashamed that that's something that I did because of whatever stuff I had going on, whatever belief system that I adopted... This is the the direct result because I think
1: in talking to gang members, I think in uh, it doesn't sound right, but I think in the uh, in that lane, you know, the uh, kill or be killed is kind of okay, yeah, a, a, amongst gangsters. But like you said, I think that there were innocent people that were probably in the wrong car in the wrong place at the wrong time, and and you had anger and retaliation on your mind i think uh it, it, it totally changes their perspective yeah. i mean I, it, it's weird because if you th- it, it, I, I think it what if it was full of your enemies right and it happened to your enemy you, you, you might I, I mean do you think you'd be
0: out i don't know if i would have i don't know if it would have hit me as hard because yeah, it right? was something that was regular like i understand now like it doesn't matter if you were from a gang or you weren't from a gang but when i was younger I don't think it would have. I would have understood it as clearly as I did, especially having three little sisters.
1: That's a weird perspective, huh? Because yeah.
0: I'm—I I was thinking about that.
1: <clears throat> and I was like, in—in, in, I guess, combat, street yeah. violence, right? It's kind of like, well, good job, <laughs> if you would have hit your rival members. But I think because you hit uh, that female, I think that it probably snapped in you. Like, this is what the heck did I just do? Right. And you were how old?
0: I was 17 when that happened.
1: 17. And, and so you get, you get busted. Right. You go to, you go to, I, I mean, how does that feel, man? I mean, did you, did you ever do time or did were in juvenile hall at any time? Or was that your first time?
0: That was my first time going in. And it just was at first when I got to, uh, LP, Los Padrinos, it was just regular at first. Like it was just kind of like, all right, I'm in jail. And, uh, just kinda like watching, seeing how things work, right? Just really just like a sponge, just being quiet and seeing how people interact and seeing how things work. And then so just kinda just,
1: like, like the the school thing all over again, right? You, yeah, like oh, where do I fit in?
0: New environment. Like I just gotta just gotta survive.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you get it are you are you nervous? Are you scared? Are you just like
0: Oh of course. Like I I've that's the thing, like that jail is a scary place, right? Like I don't care you. what anybody says thank you. like because it's it's unknown yeah right like it's just an unknown environment like am i saying people are scared that like you're gonna fight probably not like it's a fight in juvenile hall lasts maybe a minute and then they break it up like it's not so much fear of that it's just like you're in this new environment you have no control over when or what you do and it's just like you're just in the system and a lot of people don't even know about the criminal justice system so it's all foreign it's just it's just new
1: yeah I i've I've tripped out on people that don't admit that they're scared, right? I mean, especially if it's their first time. You yeah. know, you go in there, you, you're you're nervous, you're scared, you don't know what to expect. It's a it's a new environment. You get in there, and you know who who knows what's going to happen. You know, and you got this case hanging over you. Do you know like your crime right away and the severity of the crime?
0: I know the crime the because they the uh, questioning when they questioned me and stuff like that. But I didn't know the severity of what I was facing. I just remember. The, the staff at the juvenile hall telling me, like, because they, they read your chart and that says, like, your case and what you're being charged with. And so when they seen attempt the attempted murders, they're like, hey, like, you got to try and get juvenile life. That's probably your best bet. And I was like, okay. Like, I don't really know what that means, but okay. Like, what,
1: what did it mean?
0: So that meant basically you would do, uh, till the age of 25 in the youth authority. And so I was like, okay, that's eight years, I guess. You know, when you only live 17 years, eight years doesn't, eight years is, yeah it's like all right i guess i can okay. do that it's manageable right yeah and then um i go to my first so i was supposed to go to court on like a wednesday and they call me a tuesday they call me a day early and they're like oh that's not good i'm like uh, like i'm not knowing anything about court i've never been to court and so i go to court um i step inside the courtroom for literally like 10 seconds for like an arraignment and then i go back and then the lawyer the public defender comes and sees me and it's like this is what you're facing and this is the time and they were like, uh. Count one attempt to murder twenty-five of life. Count two attempt to murder twenty-five life, and they just keep reading like like a list because they overcharge you at first. Like that's how like right. the, the DA's office works is they'll overcharge you. So I had like eight or nine charges, like I had discharging a firearm and you know outside or discharging a firearm on, on a motor vehicle. Like I had a lot of charges and a lot. They were just all very lengthy. And at that point, I was just like, I was like, I was drained. I was just sad. I didn't. Know. You're
1: adding you're adding up the numbers.
0: I'm just thinking like. Oh this is bad. Oh like, this is really bad. Like I'm I'm probably never going to go home.
1: And what's it like to have a public defender, man?
0: <clears throat> it's there's some there's some very good public defenders, right? Um I had I had a decent public defender. I think that they're overworked, right? They're 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 understaffed, they're overworked. And so right. they just don't have the ability to give you the time and to answer the questions that you need. And at 17, I didn't know what questions to ask. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to prepare. I didn't know what to start working towards. I was just kind of ignorant. Like, I was ignorant to this whole process. And so I just seen all these numbers and I'm just like, well, what's next? And they're like, oh, well, you'll come back to court in a few months. I was just like, man. And so then I get transferred to uh, the compound, which is in Semoir. Now that, when I went there that day, I was really scared. Cause it looks like you go there, and it's like the regular juvenile hall. And then there's these huge gates with barbed wire. And it looks like a jail inside of a jail. And I remember just walking and I'm feeling like I'm never gonna go home. And I'm just looking at this place and I'm just like scared, I'm sad, uh, I'm angry. I just like, just feel helpless. You know, I just feel helpless. And at the same time, I'm like, I'm hiding the fact, I'm hiding the reality of feeling what I just did though, to be there. Like, that's what I was really hiding though. I was hiding the fact that I had did something like this, Mm. that I had harmed somebody that was innocent. Right. And, and all people are innocent, right? Like, I like to clarify that, like all, all people are innocent, but I just felt like, even at that time that like, I was just like, felt so ashamed.
1: Yeah. You can't really talk about your, your, your crime really right to anybody and say, yeah, we're, you're gang banging. And I shot at my rivals. Yeah. You know, it's like something you don't want to release. I shot into a car, and there was females in there, and right. I hurt somebody. You know, um, you, you you go you go there. Is that, is that when they started filming the documentary right, right after you were there? Or?
0: They filmed it about a year <clears throat> after me being there.
1: Were you waiting you, that whole year you're waiting for your case to get resolved?
0: Yeah, yeah so I'm continuing to go through uh, the case, going to court dates. And so they keep you there until you turn 18, and they send you to the county jail. And so I'm just kind of just continuing to to go and
1: what are the what are the lawyers telling you or what are you what are you doing in that year process there are you just you're just sitting
0: so the yeah i'm just going to court dates and they're just saying come back and uh nothing really is being resolved my preliminary hearing was like the like that's like the first hearing where they they start laying out the um the facts of the case and, and and the victims had to come and testify and so that day was rough i was like yeah like this is and I felt like it was, like, really coming after me. Because I had a co-defendant, but I felt like it was, like, really the focus was on me. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of still going through the process, just waiting, really. And they're not really telling me anything, though. It's just kind of just keep going, the court dates, like, come back in two months, come back in three months.
1: And they got you, uh, I mean, the name of the documentary, they call us monsters. Are are, are they literally calling you monsters, like, like this guy in your, like, I'm not, I'm not really that guy. I'm actually a nice kid that likes sports and, you know, was probably playing video games, you know, a year or two ago, you know. Or do you really feel like I'm a monster?
0: Um, no, but I've seen – the first time I've seen them kind of portraying that is when I went to trial. So, um, like, in the juvenile hall when, when I was first in the unit, like, nobody really knew how to cut hair. So the only way to cut your hair was just, like, all or nothing, really. So I remember, like, you know, my hair was getting long. I just cut it all off. And I remember that court date, they took pictures of me. And so it was like the point, like that image, all oh, like he's bald-headed, tattoos, like they had me take my shirt off. And so like when I seen that in in trials, like, oh, they're trying to really paint me like I'm a terrible, terrible person. And I did a terrible, terrible thing. But I knew like, man, I'm not, like that's not who I am.
1: You're, you're almost in like a, 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 you're in a lose-lose situation. Because right. you got to cut your hair. You cut it bald. You go to court. You, you, you already looked apart, right? Right. right? I looked apart. The then if then if you come and you dressed up, right? Somebody brings you clothes for court, and you look nice, and you're wearing like some of these guys. You wear glasses or something like right. that. Then they're looking like, oh yeah, this guy's faking it. Look yeah. at it. So it's like, I mean, how how bad for at that point in time? We'll talk a little bit more in advance, but uh, is the court system for a young guy that doesn't have like? The resources right and, and this is where i think i don't think this is my belief but when people talk about like you know even like racism or uh you know injustices i i always say the, the, the there's only one injustice to me finances right if you have the finances like i i feel that's the only place where where we really see like up here and down here like and and there's white dudes that don't have the finances and they're going to be charged just the same. You know, it's, it's, there's black dudes that have money and <laughs> they're going to get off because they, they can afford to. Do you, do you agree with that? Or is this, that, is that the wrong perspective I'm having?
0: No, definitely finances is huge because if you could pay the money for a better lawyer or pay the money to be out on bail while you're, you're trying your case, the the opportunity of you getting a lesser sentence or doing better or even, the case being dismissed is extremely higher. And most of us who committing a crime, obviously, is because we're not coming from a place of money. So it's like <laughs> you, you go into this system that
1: These are not white-collar crimes <laughs> we're doing here.
0: Yeah, we're not. It's not like, right? you know, we robbed this bank. No. And or, or that we're smuggling or bezzling. No, it's like we're, we're kids. We're trading
1: like, stocks <laughs> illegally or whatever, yeah.
0: Yeah, like we're, uh, we're, we're young people who, you know are in poverty and making bad decisions and then when you go in front of the system that's very um, black and white and that has and if you have that money then I mean we see it like if you have money then the chances of you skating like we've seen a lot of huge cases even recently in the news right like of people kind of getting off um, because they have the, the influence or the money or the power to do so and, but when you're poor and you come from Pomona, or you come from Compton, or you come from South LA. Like when you come from these areas, like you're probably gonna get a lot of time because you probably don't have the best people representing you, and you probably aren't aware of your rights. You know, so that's that's the struggle.
1: You know, you, you talk about rights, and I've talked about this in in, in before, before in, in the podcast. There uh, was there was a thing in in the documentary where you get pulled in, and you and and they're interrogating you pretty much right. right. What, what is that right?
0: So it was because they read me my Miranda. Um, now they passed a piece of legislation where you can't interrogate, um, a youth by themselves. Like that's, that's against the law now.
1: Yeah. Cause I, 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 I when I was watching, I was like, this is, this is, this is jacked up. You know what I mean? This is, this is not good. Right. And, and, and I think, uh, I have my brother-in-law in here. He grew up in like Boyle Heights, but he's an attorney. And, um, so he knows the streets and he knows the the law size. And he's like, he, ha, there's so many times, you know, even like watching First 48, you know, they get pulled in, they they let it all out. It is like, where, where's the lawyer at? You know, right. where's, where's something? when I seen your, you know, you're scene and, and, and you're getting interrogated, I'm thinking, well, this is just a kid. Right. You know what I mean, like, wh- what's going on here? You know, so I think I think that's a good piece of legislation where, you know, you can't just bring a kid in here and just start sometimes railroading him or get him to say something then he's just confused. Right. We, it's just, it's wrong. Right. Right. So I think, uh, I I guess that's a good thing that got changed.
0: Yeah. That's, that's better because I've, I've heard stories and there, there was recently Gascon, um, there was a case of this guy who did 17 years and he went in at the age of 14 and he was just exonerated. And I don't know what his process looked like as far as if he was in that, if they violated his rights or if they had him saying, um, admitting to something he didn't do, but he did 17 years and was just exonerated that he didn't even do the crime. So he's Crazy. 31 years old, and now he's living his life, right? But it's it's still messed up because we don't know what, what took place. Like, we don't know what took place in his story. It's just mine was put for the world to see, so you kind of see what's actually done.
1: Yeah, it's, it's. well, I think me and Cam were talking about a documentary today. Uh, what's the one we are talking about, about the guy that went to the Dodger game? Long shot. If you watch long shot, bro. I mean, the dude was fighting for his life. You know, went to a Dodger game and and got saved because basically they were filming at Dodger Stadium that day and they caught him in the crowd. I mean, the dude was like, you know, he was he was he, he had family that was affiliated with the neighborhood, but he literally went to the game with a friend and take take his daughter to the game. I mean, when you look at stuff like that, you I, I, even myself. I look at like Man, or I even tell my kids, you know, like you're driving down the street, you accidentally hit somebody, kill them. I mean, we can that can that can be on any any of us, right? like right. an accident, you know, much less than a crime, of course. But if you don't have the right representation, like dude, it can go that like, fast. It can go, yeah, it can go bad fast, bro. I mean, I mean, it's 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 pretty crazy. So you. You wait a year, they film the documentary, documentary, I think, gave a, do you you think it helped you?
0: I think it gave a face to my story, Mm. opposed to just, like, paper. On paper. Right? Because, I mean, storytelling has been used since the beginning of time. And so, when you're able to see it, it's a little different than just reading. You know, like, if you were to, like, just read a about this terrible thing that I did, and then read like, oh, he's doing this now, then it's like, "Ah, uh, I don't know, but I think being able to see it and see like right a kid that maybe that's not that's he's not inherently evil, right, like yeah. or he's not this wicked person, right he just made a terrible decision. I think being able to see that definitely helped me a lot
1: I think that's like the like the podcast, right yeah. I mean, people make comments, I put a video up. They'll, they'll go in on, on, you know, a short 15 second clip, right. You know, oh, that, that, that's not going to happen. Are they new better? I'm like, listen to the whole podcast, right? You can put a face, you know, with, with, with this story, like you said, and, and really get a different perspective. Once you see it visually or listen to the voice or see remorse or see, you know, uh, whatever they, 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 they have, you know, and really get a picture of the face with the story. Right. So I, I, I do think it did Because I think Especially in your part Because I, I really I remember watching it With my wife And we're like Dang like I, I can see this kid Like he just got Caught up in the wrong thing So I think it, I, I believe it helped you And it, it changed my perspective And anybody out there That hasn't watched it Watch it you, you, You'll you understand A little bit better So you wait waiting For your case?
0: Waiting for the case I got transferred To the LA County Jail After They're still kind of They're still filming The documentary But we finished Doing the Like the story where we're writing the story part of it, and I get transferred all, all of it. Well, me and Juan get can, uh, transferred to LA County Jail, which is whole different world now. This is <laughs> another
1: like, scary moment now. Super
0: scary. Like right? that was like we're going in here with grown men. It's just different. Like it's you hear all the worst stories. I remember talking the family there, like if you could survive the county jail, you could survive anywhere. And it's <laughs> like you're going in, and the first thing they do after you're waiting there for who knows how long is they uh. They make you strip all your clothes, and literally, there's like probably like forty or fifty of you guys. You go inside of this little small cell, and you're like, you know, kind of just covering yourself, and it stinks, right? And then they walk you guys to the shower, and then they, like a, they have like another cell, of like fifty guys, and they have you guys all showering. You're just showering fast, and it's just it's it's like like an animal, feel, right? yeah. It, like it's literally dehumanizing. Like now it's like you're an animal, and you kind of. They give you your your clothes, and then you get dressed fast, and then you go to medical, and then you we pull up into this dorm like at I don't know maybe like eleven o'clock at night, and we got transferred to the county jail at like six in the morning, and uh, it's just alive and it's just grown men just thugging, like <laughs> it's just grown just a dorm like a maybe like a hundred man maybe hundred fifty man dorm or just they're just straight thugging.
1: And 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 what do you do? Do you do you have advice on how to handle yourself? Do you know what to do, or is it once again, the you know the the, the chameleon in you, which just like, how can I fit in here?
0: Yeah, I mean, you just kind of go in. They ask you like, who you run with, where you from, and you just kind of do that. And then they start lacing you up as to like what the rules are, what you can and can't do, and all that. And you just kind of, you just just, just chameleon. You just got to fit in, right? You just got to just got to the time now
1: so when you try when you when they ask you where you're from now you you weren't from like a gang gang right, right. more like a tag banging crew right? right which is back then was was popular right. I mean, it was something that 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 dudes did now they're mostly gang members right right they blended in are you having struggles like where well that's not a real neighborhood like where are you from like are do you have do you have to do you have to join or do you have to you know what what do you do
0: I'm just kind of under the umbrella of being a southerner, so I just kind of come in. I'm just a southerner, and uh, I'm from Pomona, and then that's it. Like that's just
1: you. you that's it. You yeah, just gotta fit in. Just young.
0: I mean, I, like I worked out, and like I, I wasn't like an idiot. Like I just knew how to be quiet, and I knew how to pay attention to stuff, and I knew how to follow rules. You know, I learned how to follow rules in jail, <laughs> so I just did that. So I never really got into any issues. Like I, and I stood uh, in general population the whole time.
1: And when you're fighting the case
0: what, what
1: what is your what is your defense
0: I don't really I don't really even have a defense I'm just kind of like just going through the motions waiting to see what's gonna happen that's it
1: you yeah. so so you're, you're see that was another thing man where I think like you're not saying like somebody else fired the gun you're not saying like you know uh they for the gang forced me if I didn't do this this is what happened i I think you kind of just like said. This is this is what this is what I'm do.
0: Yeah, and it was all on me. I like even in the questioning, like I took the rap for everything, and it was just kind of. I was thinking maybe if I went to trial, I'll get something less because they offered me um thirty years, and to me, thirty years and going to trial and getting life just felt the same at eighteen. You know, at eighteen years old, like that's more that's more almost twice the amount of time I've lived. So I just figured, let's go to trial and see what happens.
1: 30 years is, is like life, right? At that it, it point. It felt like right? it
0: at, at that age, right? Because, yeah. like, life, that just sounds so long. Like, I'll be 48. Like, it just felt very, it, it just didn't seem real to me. So I was just like, well, what's the difference if I go to trial? So that's what I just, I just went to trial. And, and were you thinking
1: about the things that you never did? Of course. Being so young?
0: <laughs> of course. Like, but you know what? At the same time, no. Because my experiences in life were kind of limited, it wasn't as bad as when I seen guys who are older and who are coming to jail and who are facing a lot of time because they actually had lived life. Mm. Like I hadn't really even drove a car, I hadn't really had it in my own apartment. I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of those things. I didn't have those life experiences. Whereas now, if I was to go to jail now, I don't know if I could do it because I've experienced so much more of life. That's a crazy perspective.
1: Yeah, I didn't think about that.
0: At seventeen, though, my life experience was so limited. It didn't, it didn't seem as bad as it would now.
1: Yeah, because you're probably like, "Well, I got somewhere to sleep. Yeah. I got food."
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about sleeping at the park. Like it's, like it's all right. You know, that's a tri- that's a trip. I didn't really, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really think of it
1: that way. Like you don't have, the, you don't know what you're missing. In other words, right. Man. So you're facing two hundred uh, years on their books, yeah, about right? Like two hundred, yeah. And and you finally get sentenced, right? W- what is what is that day like?
0: So. Sentencing is when they show me like laughing in the documentary. But what was, what was harder for me was getting found guilty. Is that it a day. nervous laugh?
1: Huh? Is it a nervous laugh?
0: Oh, I mean no. I was it was kind of cocky. Like at that at that time, I was in the county jail for a while, and I was just kind of didn't care. I didn't really care. I had already given up. Um, when I lost trial though, that was that's what made me like hopeless, and that's what really. Like broke me down And I almost started crying But I still had that pride Where I was like I can't can't cry In front of the sheriffs You know like I kind of had that You know like That warped belief system But When I lost trial It really That was kind of like Devastating Which is crazy Because I remember I lost trial I went back to the building And everybody's like What happened? What happened? Uh, Because it's an open dorm And everybody kind of knows When you're going to trial You're going to court every day Like what happened? I was like I lost And I just went on my bed And I remember I just put blanket over my face and I started like crying a little bit and uh they called church and I was like I'm gonna go and I went up and I went to church for the wrong reasons at that time I went to church to go see people from other other buildings but I was like I'm gonna go to church and it's crazy because I felt like God was always there in those lowest moments because what was something that I've never shared before is before I lost trial the night before I read that uh Jesus Calling by Sarah Young And in there, the the devotional said, "I'm going to teach you a lesson that's going to be hard for you to understand, but it's it's necessary." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "I'm going to lose trial." Like I thought to myself when I read that the night before, I was like, "I'm going to lose trial." And uh, yeah.
1: So you literally read that book, read that passage. I'm going to lose.
0: Yeah, I read that devotional and I was like, God is telling me I'm gonna lose trials. because <laughs> it was like I'm gonna teach you a lesson that's hard that you're not gonna understand, but that's like necessary. Something like I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying something along those lines.
1: So you get sentenced.
0: I get sentenced to 162 years to life. And the day I get sentenced, I was I was high. I was using drugs. Um, I literally was I was numbing myself. I already knew it was gonna be bad. And they gave me the time didn't set in really until I was in reception. Uh, so when I got that time, it just was like, I tried to treat it like it was a joke. You know, I was just trying to be, you know, put on that mask. I was just trying to hide the vulnerability of that. And uh, I went back and I was like, they gave me a hundred years, like a hundred something years. And uh, then I started to kind of use that in a pride sense. Like, I got a hundred of life. Like, I don't care about nothing. You know, like it, I used that as an excuse to give up. And how old were you? I was 18 at that time
1: man you're still young still young yeah 100 years in the county and then you get shipped off
0: and i get shipped off and at that time i wasn't really scared going to prison because i had seen so much in the county jail in that six seven months i was there that i was like okay i'm prepared for whatever else is to come and so i kind of went already knowing how things work and i would ask a lot of questions so when i went to chino for reception i was kind of already like it is what it is, and I have life, and this is my home now, so I got to just make the best of it. And, yeah, that's where I was at at that point.
1: And you're, in your family, where, where, are they, where do they lie in all of this as you're going through all of this?
0: Um, my stepdad was showing up to all of my courts. Um, I think it was hard for him to see me. I think he was really disappointed in the decisions I made. Um, my mom had moved to the East Coast, so I wasn't really seeing her. And so it was kind of a time where I just felt like it was just me. You know, and not to say that it was, they, they they probably were still there. Like, they probably still had my back and they probably, st- you know, they loved me. But at that time, it just felt like it was just me.
1: Were you used to, you're already used to being alone and doing things yourself. Right. Man, yeah. I, could, I could never fathom, you know, going through trial alone or going through, you know, or just being on my own through something like that. That's like, you know, if anything, anybody in jail... Probably be like, yeah, my family, that's the only reason, that's the only thing I have. Yeah, you. I mean, to not really have that and just to say, like, this is just on my own, it's, it's, it's crazy to me, man.
0: It, it almost felt easier, though, because I didn't have anybody crying to me and saying, like, what's going to happen or how this is going to, like, it just, I just was doing it alone. And it was, I was just like, this is just my life now. This is just what it has to be. And so it, in some ways I felt like it made it easier because I didn't have that. You know, I wasn't talking to my sisters and having to tell them like, I'm never going to come home and hearing them cry to me and stuff like that. So in, in a selfish way, it was almost easier
1: because no, no ties. Right. Right. Just cut clean. I'm just going to, that's it. Yeah. So prison, you've accepted it. You're serving your time now. Right. This, so is, this is home.
0: This is home. And, um, During that period of time, I was in reception and uh, we would spend a lot of time in the cell. Like literally we would spend like 23 and some change in the cell. Like we would come out for breakfast, we would come out for dinner, and we would get yard once a week, which would be our time to go out. And outside of that, you were stuck inside of this little cell, which was different for me. That was challenging because I was used to the dorm already for six, seven months where I was just running around and just being an energetic 18-year-old. And now being 18, stuck in this little box, I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to basically get accustomed to that. And so I started reading. And um, the only other time to come out was to church. And so I would go to church. And I remember there was some guys there who were, um, they were Southerners and they were Christian now. And I didn't even know that that was an option. But they were like, they seemed so sold out for Christ. And I had never seen something like that in my life. Like I had never seen men of God and seeing these men serve God and and be passionate, preaching the word to us because they were in blues too. They were, they were incarcerated too and they would be the ones preaching to us. And I remember the first scripture that really, really um, pulled at my heart was John 15 where it talks about the father being the the vine and uh, the vine dresser and Christ being the true vine. And I remember that just, just I don't know why, but it just was like so real to me. Like when it was saying that. Right. And then how it talks about uh, says that uh, I'm the true vine. The father is vine dresser. And it talks about us being in him. Right. I, I, I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember verbatim right now, but I remember just feeling like that tug, like that he was real. And then I just started to read the word for myself during that time. It was just me and him. You know, I had a selly, but it was just me. It was just me and God. We was just hashing things out.
1: Did Did you ever have any experience with God, or did you know of God? Did you guys ever go to church, or just this we were this uh,
0: we were like Christmas and Easter Christians. Okay, <laughs> so we would go CEO Christians. Yes, yeah. so Christmas would, and Easter only.
1: Yeah, that's it. <laughs>
0: so we would go on those on those times, and you know, we would go for the food, and we would go for the the jumper. And the, yeah, you know, like that is experience. But when I was fourteen. Um, I lived in a neighborhood um, from like 11 to 14 where this van used to come pick us up and take us to church. So when I wasn't working, this is the beauty of people before Ubers, right? Right. <laughs> these people were doing Heck it; yeah. they were of something, right? But uh, so they would pick us up and take all the little neighborhood kids to church. And I remember they were planting these seeds. And at the time, I still was like, like a knucklehead kid, like I was over there trying to like hook up with girls at church, and like I wasn't taking it serious. But I remember certain things. Like now that were those seeds were planted, like the uh, the um, the armor of God and things like that, like the little songs that yeah. like they would have a sing. But anyway, so they they funded me to go with with some other kids from the neighborhood to this big convention in Anaheim for youth. It was like a youth convention, and I remember when I was fourteen, um, and I was watching like I said I had started watching like a lot of porn and stuff, and I remember the pastor up there just preaching. He was just going in. He was just. I felt like he was just talking to me. It felt like I felt like everybody was God. It was just me and him. And That's what you was, know is good. And he was just talking to me, right? And he was talking about porn addiction. He was talking about all these things, right? And they they did the, the sinner's prayer. And I remember I accepted Christ. And I just felt it was so real. And I remember coming back with that light. And I remember telling my mom, like, man, Jesus is real. And I remember, I came back on fire. Like I came pumping. <laughs> like at 14, I came back on fire. And uh I just had no discipleship. You know, Once again no,
1: you didn't have nobody to guide you yeah. I didn't
0: have the guiding But Because like I've always been like a sold out person Like Whatever I'm going to do I'm going to do it all the way And I remember uh, Knowing it was real And I remember I used to still pray and talk to God Even when I was living destructively I still would talk to God But I just didn't know who he was And I didn't have that discipleship right. To learn who Jesus was And so I knew he was real I couldn't deny him so that's that's what made it. That's what made me more receptive to it. And my mom. That was one one thing my mom taught me when I was young. Um, she said, "Never turn anybody away from you when they want. Never turn somebody away when they want to talk to you about God." Mm. So that's something that I was taught to always respect. So when whenever anybody would come talk to me about God, I would respect it and I would hear them out. Wow.
1: So you 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 go to church. You start seeing guys that kind of look like you, right? That probably did some crazy stuff, right? And you start saying, well, they're serving God and you kind of, are they giving you some guidance now? Do you have some examples, some discipleship going there?
0: Uh, a little bit, not, there wasn't as much contact because we were in reception and they were kind of mainline there. And so we weren't able to like really like interact that much just in church. And there was a lot of guys and a lot of guys were trying to just talk to them. And, you know, people were trying to, you know, get their stuff. Like, Hey, can you bring some food down here? (laughs) You know, people had their stuff going (laughs) on. And, uh, I just remember the word, like what they were preaching on. And so I started opening up the word for myself. I had that that this blue Bible, this blue study Bible, and I started digging into it. And before I knew it, like I didn't want to cuss no more. I just felt convicted when I would cuss. And then before I knew it, like I felt fake um introducing myself as my as my moniker. And so I just went out and I told, you know, the homies, I was like, Hey, I'm I'm gonna be a Christian, I'm gonna serve God. And they were like, nah. I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna be a Christian. They're like, nah. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Like, just call me Jared. Like, I'm gonna be a Christian. Right. And they're like, well, that you know what that means and all that. And, so uh,
1: it, it me you you have to be sold out, right? You got to be sold out because no they half see, you, yeah, yeah, they see you half step and then you're in trouble.
0: You're in trouble. Yeah. So, um, and I made that decision at 19, and at that young, anybody who knows that young with that amount of time going into prison, there's certain things that There's a custom where, you know, certain things are expected of you. And I just, I was like, I'm going hard in the other direction.
1: I wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Elevate Ministries. Elevate Ministries is an authentic, passionate, and innovative church in the heart of Orange County, California. They strive to make their services welcoming and encouraging by intentionally engaging you in all senses to stimulate a spiritual hunger. If you're looking for a great church that's on a mission to change the world one person at a time, I encourage you to check them out at www.elevateministries.com and on Instagram at Elevate Ministries. It's not easy, right? Because you you have to be sold out, and you can't come, You basically can't really come back.
0: No, there's no coming back from it, man.
1: You're serve so you, you start serving God everybody says when you go to when everybody gets saved in jail yeah right everybody turns to God in jail
0: which which makes so much sense right because when because you you're have, at when, your lowest point when you have nothing yeah right? when you have nothing you see how glorious and you see just how amazing he is when you're at the bottom with nothing with no right. distractions you see like how beautiful God is and you see the beauty of this gift especially like you know, they, they use the analogy a lot of Christ, basically, you know, you're you're in this this trial, you're in this courtroom, and God is the judge, and the, the devil is the, the DA, and he's prosecuting <laughs> you, and then Jesus just comes in and, and pays the penalty, and yep. then you go free. That's kind of the analogy, so I think a lot of people adhere to that because they've been through it. Culturally, it makes sense, right? And so I think a lot of people can understand that, but I think people struggle with making Christ their Lord. Because it's, it's always fun and games to have a Savior. Yep. It's amazing to have a Savior, right? Yep. But it's, it's hard to have a Lord. Yeah. You know? To,
1: to live the way he wants you to live, yeah. right? To set the tone for you. Yeah, everybody wants to be saved. Save me, Lord. Give me out of this situation <laughs> this time, and I'll serve you. Right. And he gets you out, and then you're like, oh, it's cool. We, we, we're moving on. <laughs> well, how did your perspective change after you gave your life to God?
0: So when I gave my life to Christ, he just started to, like, open up my heart. And... uh I was kind of ostracized a little bit because I was young and I was choosing to serve Christ in this environment of gangbangers. Because they want to use a young dude like you, right? <laughs> right. And I have a life sentence. Not in that way. But in a negative way. In a negative way, <laughs> to, a negative way right. just to participate in the activities. And I was like, I'm going to church and I'm praying for people in the yard and I'm telling other people about Christ. And I remember people would tell me, like, we'll be at the basketball court and they'd be like, hey, when do you go home? I was like, oh, I'm never going home. They're like, what, what do you mean? I was like, oh, I got like 162 years to life. And they're like, they're like, damn, they're like, why are you so happy? I was like, man, Jesus, brother, like, let me tell you about him, you know. And I used to have my little (laughs) Deuce Deuce pocket Bible. That's what they would call the they call it Deuce Deuce the the little little pocket Bible. And I would just uh, minister to people because I was like, man, he's real, like, like he's he's shown up in my life. And uh, I remember one of my my good friends who's home now and is doing really well, who knew me and we're from the same place. He showed up in the prison and and he was excited to see me. And I was like, hey, bro, I'm serving God now. And at first he was like a little shocked, like what? And then uh, he started to see I was real about it. And it was like a testimony, like somebody who knew me to see like, man, God is real. Like God is moving. And, wow. and that's why I think it's so important. And I think out here, sometimes people don't do it. And I think that's why people struggle. It's like, you just got to be in that word. Like that word will cleanse you. Like that word will work. Like that word will be that anchor. Like, if you stay in that word and you have that scripture in your heart, like, it'll keep you because you'll know who you are. It says, My people perish for a lack of knowledge, right? And a lack of knowledge of what? Like, a lack of knowledge of who you are, like who you are in Christ. Like, if you don't know who you are in Christ, then you'll get tossed to and fro. I, I think coming from a perspective of a guy
1: that had 162 years in prison, young, right? And he still finds joy. You don't, you know. I'm, I'm sure people say, "Are you high? <laughs> Are you on drugs?" But you find joy. That, I mean, that's a testament in itself that th- this is this is for real. This yeah. is legit. Like, I, I where else can a dude like you find joy? Like, it would be better in, in most people's perspective to say, "Well, I'm just gonna wild out because what do I, what do I have to lose? Yeah. Give me another ten
0: years on top of my <laughs> sentence, or who cares? Right. You know what I mean, right?" Yeah. And that's that's used to be funny, too, because they would send out like the uh, the date changes and it'll go from like twenty one seventy four, which was my board date to like twenty four forty two. And I'll be like, is this, this mean anything this or I'll or, or get like like three weeks off and I'll be like, <laughs> like I like I wasn't doing anything with the hope or the, the mindset that I was ever going to go home. And that's what that's what I think I had joy in, because I wasn't working doing I wasn't working. For a reward I was working for A heavenly reward Right I wasn't working for this Physical reward And that's what That's what I think Was enabled me To have that joy Right like, Man It's in the prison cell Singing <laughs> I know That's that, That's That's the part where
1: it. To me It's for real Because it, I could Only for God To really Experience True joy In that cell You know I, I think about that Like you know, you think about people like overseas, maybe in a third world country, and, and they know God. but Where do they find their joy, right? They are try- they can't even eat, or they, you know, are they being persecuted, you know? You think about all these things, like how do they find joy? And it convicts my heart because I'm like, and I'm over here complaining because, you know, my coffee didn't come out right or something. <laughs> you know, something trivial, right? Right. And I'm like, man, is, is, that, is that really worth it? And, and I think that's part of the, you know, we talked a little about Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes before. But the the poor in spirit To remain poor in spirit Like if I'm always poor in spirit That means I need A rich father right. I, I need him to fill that spirit up So I, I think that's a That's a A perspective that we can all learn from Where, where and, and, and I would assume that that's kind of your driving point now Definitely. To still remember that And where you came from
0: Right like, like you were talking about like with Paul right And Paul talks about In 1st uh, Timothy That he was the chief of sinners Like that's how he he had, like, that humility where he understood that God had delivered. Like, there's, like, when you've been forgiven much, right? Like, you just have a different feeling. Because right. if I forgive you a $100 debt, you may be like, oh, that was dope. Like, I appreciate that. But if I forgive you, like, a million-dollar debt, then it means more.
1: Yeah, I'm, we're best friends. Because you know, it's, I'll like, whatever. whatever.
0: It, it, it's just, it just shows. So, for me, having done something so terrible in my life, to be forgiven and to say that like I love you and I've called you my son, it just it just felt undeserved. And I would be a fool not to to accept it. Like to reject that, I would be a fool, to reject sonship, basically, right? To to yeah. to reject being able to call Jesus my friend. And it just was so it just was so real. He just like would show up. And, and it was, I had tough days, you know, like I was in prison and I had life as, as a kid. I had tough days and he just always showed up for me. He just always showed up. Like and my, one of my favorite scriptures is in Philippians 4, 6. It says, um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's just what guarded my heart and my mind from being bitter, from being resentful towards myself mainly towards myself because of what i've done to to be there and because of the decisions i made i had to let god guard my heart and mind to be like no i'm still going to use you to be the salt and light where you're at right now you're going to be my salt and light in here you're going to be my hands and my feet and um i didn't have a lot my family didn't have a lot so i wasn't uh blessed abundantly as far as financially but i never went hungry you know like god always had me even in that environment and i gave freely I didn't hold on to anything. I wasn't stingy. I just gave freely and uh, never needed for anything. Man, bro, that's crazy, man. Um,
1: obviously you didn't serve the hundred and sixty something years,
0: right? How how many years did you serve? So I ended up serving about eight and some change. And how did it come about that you you got out of prison? So I was encouraged to file for a commutation of sentence. Uh, I had no write ups. I was doing. Everything you could do in the prison Groups every, everything there was and so I filed this uh, uh, It's like th- It's this whole form where you have to uh, Write basically like your crime Write about like show insight remorse I, I sent um, I'm not a, you're not allowed To reach out to the victims but I wrote Remorse letters um, To the four, the four women that were in the car And I sent all that To the governor's office and they have a team That reviews it and they review your C file, which is everything to see if it matches up with what you really are doing in prison. Are you optimistic? Not are... really. I'm just, I'm just doing it. I'm just like, okay, you, I'll do it. You have all the time in the world. Yeah. I'm like, why not? You know, like somebody told me like, hey, you should do it. So I was like, okay. So I did it. And, uh, I got an interview and they were asking me all the questions, asking me about the crime, just kind of like drilling me a little bit. And I was just being truthful. I was just speaking from the heart and, uh, nothing happened. And about two years after I had got that interview, uh, just like on a random day in March, um, they came and told me, hey, your sentence uh, is now um, 10 years to life. I was like, what? Like, I didn't even understand. And then uh, they told me my sentence was commuted. So I had got commuted from 162 years to life to 10 to life, which meant that I was going to go to board. Uh, I had to go in front of a psych. So they do a psych evaluation uh, before you go to the board to see what's your um, from a psychiatric standpoint what's your your risk to reoffend. It's either a low, moderate, or a high. And so they ask you questions and then they kind of see if you're anti if you have antisocial. Uh, they say everybody in prison has antisocial personality disorder. It's not true. Um, I don't think every, I think you've displayed an antisocial behavior, right? But I don't think everybody has that disorder. Yeah. But so you go in front of this process. And so one thing, one way I always lived though, right? Like I wasn't a fool. I was kind of like, you know, like the scripture talks about like, you know, when it talks about like the 10 virgins, like keeping the oil, like, you know, like you don't want to get caught slipping. <laughs> so I always like did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Like I always had, you know, I was always insightful and in writing about, you know, my life story. I wrote um, about groups I would take about AA and A, even though I didn't feel like I was an addict. Um, I don't think I, I don't believe in that doctrine. <laughs> Like, I don't think I'm once. Like, I believe in Jesus. Like, I think I'm healed through the blood of Jesus, and I don't think I'm an addict for life. But I wrote on all those those things and explained how I understood them and how I've implemented them. And I and I've been sober. I've been I haven't used drugs for since I was 18 years old, and so I've continued that uh, for about 10 years now. And uh, so then you go in front of this board and uh, you sit in front of two people and a DA and. They walk you through everything to see if you're really changed. It's a very like that's one thing, like we were talking about like like a lot of people have been like really bashing me lately uh about coming home. Like they just let me home. You know, like they didn't like they didn't just let me home. Like it was a very extensive a process. process. Yeah. And like I had to explain to them and I had to show uh insight and remorse into what I did. And I had to basically prove to them. That I will never commit a crime again, and so it, that that process is very very extensive. And, and, and realistically, how do you do that,
1: right? I yeah. mean, the the you're just it's just your word. I mean, you have some action. Obviously, you said you you, you joined a lot of groups, right? You 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 worked in the prison. You stood out of trouble, right. which is huge, right? I mean, uh, but but basically, it comes down to do we believe this guy, right? Right. I mean, I, I mean, how do I mean? Are you going in there like I have nothing to lose? I'm just going to tell the truth, and I am
0: remorseful, and this is what I've been doing. Right, and I think for me, I was, like, reading the Word before I went. Like, I wasn't even studying, like, my packet. Like, I wasn't studying, like, my board packet to see my triggers and stuff. I was just like, man, this is you, God. Like, you did this. Like, I didn't I didn't do this. Like, you. you did this, so whatever happens, I'm okay with. And so I went in there, and I just – and it's crazy, too, because like initially, like my heart started thumping fast because obviously like, this is for your freedom. And uh, I remember just praying. And it's funny because they asked me a question and boy, they're like, well, what happens when, if you go home and, you know, people in the church aren't what you thought they would be? I was like, I never go to church for the people. I'll go to church for the person. <laughs> and then they were like, they were like, okay. And then they moved on. Who was the person? God. <laughs> Jesus. Like, I'm here for go. Jesus. I'm not yeah. here. For, I'm not here. Like, people are fallible. It's a, it's a great perspective. I was yeah. like, people are going to make mistakes. People aren't perfect. Right. But man, like, that's not, we're not called to be perfect. We're called to follow Christ. And so, uh, but yeah, I went through this whole process and they found me suitable in my first hearing at the age of 25, which is like unheard of. Uh, most people don't get found suitable their first hearing most people don't get found suitable at 25. most people wow. get found suitable in their 40s third late 30s you know to be found suitable um at 25 and in my first hearing was like oh God it's just no for me there's no other way to explain it so, so you go you get cleared by the board they they say
1: we think he's suitable to be to be released or to have an end date uh to get parole. Wow. Yeah. So, so I mean, you got to be excited.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited and I'm like, is this real? Like, am I really going to walk yeah, out of you here? you don't want to get your hopes up, right? I mean, you're, yeah. you're, just, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. I'm just like, we'll see. We'll see when I'll actually walk out of here, you know, which was probably like a lack of faith on my part, right? But I'll just be real. Like, I was like, I didn't want to build myself up on this pinnacle and fall off. I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to, I just kept doing the same thing. And then COVID hit and they hit us in the prison system as well. And so we were like slammed down and I was just volunteering doing Porter jobs. So I was basically just cleaning up the COVID cells and sweeping and uh, passing out food trays. That's what I was doing um, because all the other jobs were shut down and we just were stuck in a building. And I just didn't want to be in the cell just thinking. I was like, I got to work. Like, let me work. So yeah. I was out there just working. And then they finally told me like, hey, you're going home tomorrow morning. So, just like that. <laughs> Yeah They're like Hey Nava I was like What's going on They're like Hey you go home Tomorrow morning I was like Wow And uh That night I put on some Classical music Got some rest Woke up in the morning And I walked out I walked out the gates (laughs) Just like that Just like that
1: Are you Are you Are you scared Walking out the gates Like what am I gonna do or no because
0: no, I I had a, I had like a I had a plan. Like intellectually, I think I knew what I wanted to do. Like I had things set in order. I didn't know how they were gonna play out. But I got picked up by my I got picked up by my mentor, Scott Bunnick. And so the transition was smoother with him. Like he was kinda like took me to Target, took me to Starbucks, like kinda walked through that so first had, day with So me. you had
1: a guide now. I had a guide. Yeah, some guidance. I had that guide. That's it. I think like I think so many people don't have that, man. Right. I think that's the problem. And even yeah. when they do get busted, they don't have nobody for them, right? So, what do they have? Once again, they just go to whatever whatever is around them, right? I, I, I think I, I'll be honest, man. When I heard your story, and then obviously I didn't I I didn't think it was right 160 something years, or what you were facing on the documentary 200 years. You know, it just like it seems unfathomable, fathomable, right? Um, you know, I've always been like a, a... We talked a little bit about this before we started, but I've always been like a... You know, like, hey, man, this is law and order. You know, and, and my perspective on that has changed. And, and God, it touched my heart on that stuff because I've seen, like like we talked about, you know, Trino Jimenez and and the work he's done to, you know, as a victim to get, you know, the, the perpetrator out, you know, and then how they work together now. Or my friend Gabby and her husband, how he did 25 years. And all these things have changed and hearing your story, my perspective really changed. And that's why I reached out because I was like, man, I, I want to get this, dude. And I didn't even know the story of how God touched your life. Right. You know, I was just like, I believe this guy. Like, there's something about you that I, I say, yeah, I, I believe that." My, my My thing is, is like when I got like a little a little nervous is because it gets political, right? It, get, right. it really gets political. And we're in a political political state that just everything's political right no matter what we do and and we kind of get away from humanizing people because we we just put them in oh you're in this politics or this politics right or you're in that religion or this religion you know you believe in jesus or you don't believe in jesus and sometimes we don't actually look at the person and when i really looked at the person i was like i want to have this guy on you know you got we talked a little bit about you getting beat up the you know maybe the last couple of months right right um and, and and people making memes or making posts and saying, "Hey, this guy, you know, uh, got off, you know, and was serving." I like the way they phrase it, right? I I, I and I saw it, bro. It's it's totally unfair, you know. Ex gang member, you know, was on, you know, was doing 162 years. Now he's working for the state. Yeah. Right now he's working for Gavin Newsom. Like you and him are right side by side, right? And you know, it, it gives a wrong perspective. It doesn't put a human. Once again, a human face or a story, you know, uh, to the face. Um, but I think it changed for me, man. I think it, it it changed for me. And when I look at your story and what you've done, um, I think, like, it, it's the ideal situation for a young kid that got busted and, and to be able to do some time and get out. But be remorseful, be repentant, and, and, and want to just do good, right? I mean... What's your take on that, and what's your take on like the people that have come against you and say, "Hey, this guy shouldn't be out"? Because there's people out there that are very, you know,
0: hand pounding on the desk, you know, right. And part of me, part of me struggles a lot with it too, because I'm like, like you're coming at me so hard, right? And I'm like, you're like rehashing a lot of this stuff. I imagine. For the victims as well, because I'm, I'm hoping that people aren't harassing them with saying like, oh, look, he's doing all these things because I just feel like that's terrible for me, though. I'm just. God gave me a second chance. And with that second chance, I'm trying to make sure that maybe one other Jared doesn't sprout up and, and commit a crime like this. But I understand why people are angry because they're not seeing the whole story. Or, or they could be angry with the fact that I'm out at all. They could just feel like I should be condemned, and I mean, they can they have the right to feel that way. They have that they have that right. All I can do and all I can control is trying to be the best version of myself and to be Christ like and try to do what God sent me um, or gave me the second chance to do. And I'm gonna do that, you know. And I want to have those tough conversations with people. Like I'm not opposed to sitting down and talking to anybody. And sharing and walking through any of the issues that they have with it, I'm not like I'm open to that. I just think it has to be reasonable, you know. Like if we if we can have a reasonable conversation, right. like I'll, I'll answer questions you may have. Like if right. you want to know how I got here, like I, like let's let's have the conversation, and I'll share with you, right? And then from there, you you can have your opinion e- either way. But for me, it's like I know that. I didn't just get out. Like who just gets out after that time? And so I'm like, God, God gave me that second chance and I'm going to continue grinding and I'm going to continue serving and I'm going to continue um, being used in whatever capacity he sees fit. That's just what I'm going to do Whether people. I-, I wasn't surprised though. Cause I'm like, this is what the word of God talks about that. You're going to be persecuted. And so I'm like, it's, it's okay.
1: That's okay. I think you've taken it in stride for sure, man. I think it, when I seen the post, I was like, oh man, you know, like, You know, I think we live in an era of of fair or compare, right? I think I think right away in every situation, especially online, whatever it may be, we we is this fair, right? And everything's not fair in life. We know that, right? Or we compare, you know. So, well, his crimes don't compare to to this guy that. Let's say molested five girls Or raped somebody You know it's It's always like fair and compare I think Going to the courts I think you, you You really have to look At each case individually And unfortunately There's no time to look At each case individually Right Right Is, is that an issue in, Amongst our court What is the What is the, some of the issues Amongst our courts that, that will not give a guy Like you a chance Because it was It it was God And it was <laughs> That, that intervened right there Right And it was a lot of people would call it luck, but we know it was God. But a lot of people ain't as lucky or have God like you had in your corner.
0: I mean, there's we got the prison population from 170-something thousand to 97,000. And I think even that's a lot of people to try and cipher through and see, is this person a first-time and an only offender? And I think what the board is looking for, though, is they want you to be able to connect the dots so that they can see and they want it to make sense. That's why it's harder for guys when they commit crimes later on in life for like the board of parole to understand this guy who snapped and did this murder at 40. Cause it's like, what can stop you from doing that again? But I think it's easier for them to look at a, a youth and be like, Oh man, like there's a lot of people who will say that that's not true, but I've met so many people, police officers, People who work in the Senate, just all guards when I was in prison who said, man, when I was your age, I did a lot of stupid things that could have landed me in the same position that you were in. I just didn't get caught. Mm. Like so many people would tell me that. And I think that when you're young and you have the ability to make the worst decisions, then oftentimes you're going to probably lean more to making those decisions if you don't have you know that that father in the house or that mother in the house to to be able to be like no or to lace you up right and I think it's it's hard the, the system is hard it that that's something that I mean as a, I'm am studying criminal justice in school and just kind of seeing the the origin of our criminal justice system is um it's a there's a lot to unpack it's, there there's so many facets right <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there and I think that. Man, we just we're we're doing a lot of great things in California apart from a lot of the fear mongering and a lot of the um the focus on some of these things. Like I think we have to be people who are who are willing to look at the stats and see how things are really playing out. No. does, does everybody deserve a chance? I'm not an abolitionist. So I wouldn't say that everybody should just be let out. I think that people should be given the opportunity to present themselves. And see if they're no longer a risk. At least, at the very least, if they were 25 or younger, because the brain science proves that the brain's not fully developed. That why not give those people just an opportunity to present themselves to see if they have done the work to change? Because when somebody lives in prison, there's a record. So let let's just look at the let let them prove or disprove whether they're they're ready for it or not. Right. I I think there is a uh, youth. I'm
1: I'm in agreement with that. I mean, is there some devil youth out there that just you know probably shouldn't be let out? I, yeah, I'm sure there is. But I think there's there's crimes like yours where it was uh, it was unfortunate. It, you've taken the responsibility. You made the change, and you've you've been better for it, and want to be better for it, and and not just went in. A, you could have easily got off and move to Michigan or whatever you know, and just hit, hit and hid, right? Right. But you stood here, you find the you're fighting the fight. You're, you're 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 speaking, right? You're you're trying to help the youth. You're you're trying to help, you know, these government agencies like say and give them a perspective. I, I think a lot of guys would have just probably said, Well I'm not gonna give back. I did my time and I, I'm not gonna fight the fight. But you're willing, like you said, to to stand there and say, Hey, if you want to have these tough discussions, I will I'll tell you where I'm at. I'll tell you what I did. If we don't agree, we don't agree. We can go our separate ways. But just hear my story. Right.
0: That's it. That's that's all I can ask for.
1: Yeah, man. I think. Uh, I think it's. I think it's tough. I think. I think that the 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 justice system is tough. Is it? It's. It's not like one thing you can fix, right? right. It's. so many. There's so many. <laughs> so many facets. So many holes leaking. <laughs> right. But but I but I think that everybody deserves the right, you know, to to especially as a youth. I think as a youth, like you said, 25 and under, maybe that's high. I don't know. But, you know, we I talked to my kid. I'm 27 and 23-year-old. You know, and I'm like, listen, pay attention on the road. You know, don't do nothing stupid. A split second could change your life. And you, and it's a mistake. But right. I already know that, you know, the justice system's going to – they don't care. Right. They don't care. And, and we don't have no money. <laughs> <laughs> so, we can't defend you, man. Right. But I think, uh, I think you've, you've done good, man. I think that the, the, the life you're living, like I said, you could have just easily packed it up and, and went in a hole and hid somewhere and nobody would know your life story. But to stay in the trenches and actually fight the good fight, I think that's, uh, I think that's commendable, man. I think that's something good. And, and, and I could, it changed my perspective. Right. Your story changed my perspective on a lot of things. And, uh, i i I hope there's some youth out there that listen to your story man what what is it like when you go back and you speak to in some of these places that you've you were once an inmate
0: it feels it feels like i I feel comfortable because I have credibility there like uh not to knock any decisions made by anybody but like I stood uh general population mainline the whole time because I felt like my whole life I was running from things and that was one thing i used to pray and ask god about all the time like like if do you want me to be here or where do you want me to go i just want to be wherever my story can be the most credible and the fact that i stood it out the whole time i can go to a general population yard i can go to an sny yard i could go anywhere to go speak and share my story because i had the credibility that and and when i go speak to certain guys who've been down a long time they're like you stood you paroled from a general population yard, and you did this the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, because like God is I'm like I'm trying to show, I'm trying to sh- tell you like, you can't refute this evidence. Yeah, <laughs> like this evidence is gonna convict you because there's nothing you could poke holes in. You can't poke holes in the story because everything I'm telling you, like it's just culturally like this is the truth. This is what happened, and so it feels great to go back into those spaces and have that credibility. And to have lived and having slept on some of those same beds or bunks and just share with them, like, man, like, I know what it feels like to spend Christmas in jail. I know what that feels like, you know, but let me tell you how I did it. Right. And so that's kind of the the, the beauty. And man, I've, have you heard of uh, Jerry Flowers? No. So Jerry Flowers is this pastor out of uh, Texas fire. And I was listening to a message. Uh, recently and he was talking about the word decide and the word side right means like to kill so side like in pesticide all these different it's in a lot of different Mm. words right and uh, d means to move away from and so when you decide to serve christ that means that you're killing your old self and you're moving away from it And you're moving towards Christ, right? With that, that's what you say. When you say you decided to serve Christ. And so I look at it like when, because I decided that when I step into these spaces, I'm dying to the fact that I don't want to be back into a prison. I don't want to be back inside of a juvenile hall. I don't want to be, I'm I'm dying to that because I know that I'm called to this purpose of bringing hope to the hopeless, right? That's, that's the thing is, is shining. Maybe my story will be that thing to get them through this holiday season. And that's why, like, sometimes I I pick up uh, uh, global telling calls from prison and uh, sometimes I don't have the the time to talk, but it's like sometimes that conversation is what they need. And so because I decided to follow Christ, I got to kill my desires and I got to kill what I may want in the moment, you know, because we have our flesh, right? The flesh is. Yeah. (laughs) And you, you have to kill those things. So whenever I step into these spaces, I'm remembering like it's not about glorifying that lifestyle. It's not about glorifying how I got there. It's about spreading hope to the fact that you can make it through this. And if you're not going to, and making it through it, I tell guys, don't think about going home. Just think about being better, right? Like live, I always tell guys, live how you would live if you were free. And if you're still using drugs and if you're still engaged in certain activities, that's the same way you're going to live when you go home. Mm. So if you want to go home and stay home, you have to live changed where you're at. Cause if you can't live changed in there, you can't live changed out here.
1: Which, which should be, it's a great perspective, man. I, which should be our perspective for everything. Right. Yeah,
0: man. Live, li- live like you should. Right. Like yeah. live, live how you do in church on Sunday. Yeah. Monday, <laughs> Tuesday, <laughs> be that guy. Right. Right. In and
1: out, you know, right. wherever you go. I mean, great dude, man. I appreciate you coming through, man, sharing your story. Um, now you're working at the state. Yeah, right? no, I'm working for the Senate. Got, got a girlfriend out there. Yeah. Pulled up in a ride. <laughs> looking pretty fresh and in shape, brother.
0: You know, how does it feel, man? Three years. Um, Honestly, it just, it feels amazing. I just, like, when I when I talk to, to my girl and stuff, like, I just, I don't recognize who I used to be. I just feel so far from where I used to be and the things that I've done that when I go to work in a suit, like, I just... I forget sometimes. I forget when I take off my shirt that I'm covered in tattoos. Like I forget sometimes because I just don't live that way no more. And the things I've been able to accomplish and be a part of these past three years is just amazing. You know that just it's just mind blowing. It's just that's why it just points like I'm like like God is real. Like if you don't believe it, like let's sit down and talk because I'm like the things that I've been able to do. Like I've spoken in New York. I've spoken at USC. I've spoken at various colleges that I never would have thought. I would ever be a part of where that people would want to hear my voice and share about, you know, my life or how I made it out. But what I noticed is that a lot of people live in prison out here. A lot of people live captive out here. And it's just showing that there's that freedom in Christ. You know, like, you know, it doesn't matter the circumstance or it matter. It matters your heart. And so I'm just kind of like, there's been, there's been challenges these past three years, right? Like I went into jail as a kid and now I'm 28 years old. Um, and I've had to learn just basic life things. Like I had to learn how to cook, really. You know, like I had to learn how to pay rent. I had to learn you don't how don't to make
1: spreads no more, bro. Nah, I mean... No more
0: spreads. <laughs> okay. No more soups. But no no ramen in my house. <laughs> no ramen. Throw that away. <laughs> so just I had to learn to be a man. And I've had a lot of help um, since I've been home. I've had a lot the of basics,
1: right? The, just... the, the things we t- paying a bill. Right. Right. Paying for insurance, getting insurance. You know, I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot and I think that's why
0: a lot of guys rather be inside, right? Than than face reality of everyday things. Right. And that's that's one thing I just encourage men in, in all spaces that I step into is like don't be afraid to ask people for help. Like I feel like as men there's that culture of like you shouldn't ask somebody for, for help. help. And that's that's my like even in interviews, they're like, What's your greatest strength and weakness? So I was like, I was like, My greatest weakness is that I don't know how to do certain things. But my greatest strength is I'll always ask how. And that's something that has been um, enabling me to be successful since I've been home is reaching out and having a strong support network and asking people how to do things. Instead of trying to figure out myself or getting stressed out or just drowning in life, I just ask people how to do things. You know, (laughs) and I ask the father, right? Like, that's just how that's just how I live. That's it. Yeah. Do you ever get down, man? Yeah, there's there's days where it's 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 still rough, you know, especially um you know, I just I have to live with the decisions that I made. And uh there's days that I feel extremely ashamed of. Like sometimes it's it's hard to do stuff like this because we're discussing the worst thing I've ever done in my life and how I came out of that. But at the same time, um it says in the word of God, it says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up, but a fool won't. So I've fallen. I'm not perfect, but I keep getting up. I keep serving God. I keep going to church. I keep praying. I keep reading his word. And so that's what that's what's enabled me to – it's like when you're on that solid foundation. You know, it talks about the in – the, in the Gospels, it talks about the house that's built on the sand. And when the storms and the winds blew, it, it tore it down. But when it's built on the rock, it could beat against it all at once, but it's still going to be standing.
1: Good stuff, man. I appreciate you coming out, bro. Thank you, man, for
0: spending some time with us, man. Uh, Definitely
1: love your story, man. Uh, We got one last thing, though. I'm going to let you guys get out of here. It's called the Furious Five, bro. And We ask you five furious questions. Have a little fun. we were serious most of this time. (laughs) (laughs) Let's bring it down a little bit. Question number one on the street gospel, Furious Five. If you can change places with anybody in the world for one day, who would it
0: be? Man, I'll probably have to sit in the White House for a day. Probably the White House for Biden. Oh, see, see what it's
1: like to. to he, he wouldn't even know you switched <laughs> with him, bro.
0: Sleepy Joe. Sleepy <laughs> Joe would be like,
1: who is this guy? Oh, you work here? <laughs> All right. I mean,. I guess it'd be cool to be on Air Force One, travel. You know, take right. the hell I'll take the helicopter. The helicopter looks dope, right? You know, go on the uh, on the on the lawn there, right, and uh sitting in a briefing. You know, yeah, sitting in the briefing. You know, maybe maybe play with the with the uh, nuclear coat. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> that's dope. All right, president's cool. Question number two on the street: Gospel Furious fight. What are some of the red flags that young guys should watch out for in the streets?
0: Uh, red flags, man. That's that's tough. Uh, I would say some of the red flags are just obviously number one, probably like drug use, right? Drug use, alcohol use, overconsumption of those things. And then I would say, uh, man, people who don't value you for you—that should be a huge red flag. Like if you can't be yourself around people, that's a, that's a red flag. That that's probably not the right people for you. Keep it moving. Yeah.
1: Question number three on the street: Gospel Furious Five.
0: When you got out, what was the first thing you ate? The first thing I ate was a big old steak, steak. and some shrimp. Ooh, man! Yeah, surf and turf.
1: Were you used to sh- shrimp and, and steak?
0: Nah. You already? <laughs> <laughs> I mean my grandma used to throw down growing up. Okay. But, but this I, was this has been a long time. I
1: would think a young cat that got busted early would probably be like, I'm getting me a nice cheeseburger, man. Let's get let's head out to In it Out. It's like three of them in Pomona. <laughs> <laughs> all right, question number four On the Street Guys with Furious Five. You're a baseball player. Favorite baseball player of all time.
0: Man, all time? I mean, I gotta go with a Dodger though. Just because I, I'm just a Dodgers fan. There and, we uh, go. <laughs> I, I want to go with like Valenzuela, or I want to go with Hershiser, just because I, I I just a big I like pitchers. Yeah, but uh, man, that's tough. That's tough. But I'm gonna have to go with David with Dave Roberts though. Just the reason why is because when I used to play baseball, there was a way he used to steal bases that right. was just different. Right. Dave Roberts was Dave Roberts is the reason why the Red Sox yep won now that they won. World Series. Yeah, they're, they're the reason why they had that yeah, World Series. Classic. Dave, Dave Roberts is. And he's,
1: he's immortalized For stealing the ba- right?
0: Yeah Just and, and As a kid playing baseball That's what you love to do Just steal bases So Dave Roberts I have to say Dave Roberts Is my favorite What what, what position did you play? I played center field And catcher Do you still play? Uh, so- I haven't found Some a league softball? I want to find a softball league I yeah, haven't been able go. To find one yet though
1: Hey I used to be catcher too bro
0: Yeah catching's fun You involved hey. in every play
1: Your knees hurt <laughs> <laughs> You gotta be You gotta pay attention man yeah. Might get hit in the wrong place <laughs> question, question number Uh Number, uh, last one Question number five The street gospel Furious fight One piece of advice That made a difference In your life
0: mm. I'll say the biggest Piece of advice That That probably still Sticks with me To this day Is that um, People will Celebrate Your victories And accomplishments But they identify With your struggles so always being real because you walk into rooms and this is what like, you know, just something I live by is like you walk into rooms and you know, what most people like to do is poke their chest out and talk about all the things that they've done. But most people will be able to see the human in you and relate to you by knowing your struggles. So when you be able to talk about your struggles, I feel like that's the most effective thing. And another thing that I learned from my pastor is when you walk into a room, you should be uh uh, how do you say it? Uh, like you gotta be, you gotta set your mind out. Like uh, how does it say? it? I can't think of how he says it. It's powerful though. He talks about like being like like Christ Christ minded. Like so, like when you walk into a room, you shouldn't be uh like you shouldn't be uh focused on yourself. You should be focused on like who God wants you to to reach and meet in each room. So mm-hmm. every time I walk into a room, I am like, what am I here for? Who am I here for? So wow. it's like letting my, the way I speak, the way I'm walking, my demeanor, like I got to be on point because it's like I'm in this room, whatever room it is for a reason. Dope, man. Yeah. I appreciate you coming out, brother. No, thank you. Anything you want to shout out before you get out of here? Man, I just, I just thank everybody who's who's been a part of enabling me to be successful and they know who they are. So I just appreciate all the help and all the love to be where I am today. Dope man. Appreciate you. Everybody
1: out there, check out uh the documentary. They call us monsters. But also follow where they couldn't follow you at?
0: Uh Jared J A R A D underscore Jacob. We're gonna blow it up, bro. On we're Instagram. Gonna, we're gonna blow you up right now. <laughs> follow him, man.
1: See what he's really about. Get the full story, get the full perspective. Uh obviously we brothers in Christ, man. I got your back, brother. And uh, you know, I'm 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 happy to finally meet you in person, man. I love your story. And it's uh, story of redemption, story of overcoming, story of uh, turning your life around like Paul. You know what I mean? Nobody like Paul. Right. Paul had a record. You know, what I mean? <laughs> Paul was the worst of the worst. He was the chief sinner. But God used Paul, and and Paul's like second to Jesus in the Bible. Right. right? <laughs> so I yeah. appreciate you for coming out, man. And uh, whatever we can do to support you, man, let us know. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. We out. Peace.